0: So I'm going to explain the title in a minute, but my goal this morning is to see how some strange words of Jesus are deeply relevant to us. Some strange words of Jesus are deeply relevant to us, and I'm going to, have three parts, the first is I'm going to talk about the funeral dirge, a dirge is a song that's sung at a funeral, the funeral dirge, John the Baptist, and the dance, which is Jesus. And then I'm going to talk about the same pattern in the past, before then, and then I'm going to talk about the future, the end of the world. So you're probably thinking, I'm no, I'm not more enlightened now at all, Andrew, that doesn't help me at all, but hopefully as we go through you'll understand what we're talking about. <clears throat> so, I'm going to start by talking about John the Baptist, here's a children picture of him, and it's actually quite good because it represents the way he was clothed and is prophetic nature, and what we're going to do by looking at the teachings of Jesus today, we're going to go back to the basics in the Gospels. Jesus laid the basics, the basic groundwork, and then the letters, the epistles, build on that throughout the New Testament. So we're going to be going back to the basics of what Jesus said, and the message today isn't a nice, happy one. Um, so. If you don't go out, like, full of jubilation, don't blame me, blame Jesus. Okay? Um, So, what I want to do is to put the words up so it's not me you're hearing, it's him, he's speaking to you. And we're going to start off with a passage, which is our main focus today, which is from Matthew chapter 11, which is Jesus describing John the Baptist. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Obviously not, because he was not—he was dressed in very, very rough clothing. And he certainly wasn't somebody that's blown about by the wind. Behold, those who wear soft clothes are in king's houses. What did you then go to see? A prophet. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he, of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. So this is a prophecy about John the Baptist that was given in the Old Testament. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he talk in a minute what those strange words mean. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violence take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. To what should I compare this generation? They are like children, sitting in the marketplaces, who call out to one another, We played the flute for you, yet you did not dance. We wailed in mourning, yet you did not weep. For John came, neither eating nor drinking, and they said, He has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunk, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is vindicated by her deeds." So, let's look at the uh, verse 16, shall we, and 17. Some children are wanting to play and they're having trouble, uh, having trouble getting others to, to join them. So these children say, let's play weddings. You can be the bride and you can be the bridegroom and you can be rice And you other say, no, we don't want to play weddings. No, boring, we don't want to. Okay, let's play funerals then. We can sing sad songs. No, we don't want to play funerals. And Jesus is saying, this is what you're like. You're just like children who are you're just rejecting everything that's suggested to you. John the Baptist's message was, you need to turn away from the, things, the bad things you're doing, and you need to turn back to God. If you don't, God will judge you. And they didn't like this message, and they killed him in the end. So this was the dirge. This was the the, the sad message that they didn't want. Jesus' message was about a new kingdom of justice and healing and freedom and forgiveness. And the poor and the oppressed would be exalted over their wealthy oppressors. And uh, there would be a wedding feast that would usher in a new era. And this was Jesus' message. And they said, no, we don't want Jesus' message. And they rejected that as well. But what Jesus is saying is he is about a new project that is turning mourning into dancing. He's turning sorrow into joy, death into life, and he's turning funerals into a wedding. And Jesus says that people do not want to hear this message. They don't want to hear the negative things that God says. They don't want to hear that they're accountable to God. One day they'll have to stand before him in judgment. But neither do they want to hear the positive things. God is calling to them, and they won't listen. God is calling out to this generation as well. So, the song of mourning, then, is John the Baptist. And he's the forerunner who's paving the way for Jesus. And you actually have to play both games. You have to play John's game before you can play Jesus' game. You have to accept the warnings of the forerunner accept that we need to turn from our rebellious ways we need to turn to God you have to accept that message of John and then you can receive the message of the wedding feast of the joy of the freedom of Jesus there's a death and there's a wedding there's a death to the old and there's life in the new now I could end the sermon here and I could say um, it's "It's amazing." Party that Jesus has prepared for us. He's the bridegroom. We look forward to, in a kind of symbolic way, being married to him for eternity, and uh, he'll wipe away all our tears. Um, and I could give, I could uh, preach a message now, and well, that would be a great message. But I'm not going to. I'm going to go on because I told you there were some difficult things. So we're going to go on, and we're going to see them. So I want to focus in on some of the verses that we've just had, and. Uh, Verse 10, this is he, John the Baptist, of whom it's written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there's arisen no greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Yet from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violence take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So, let's look at uh, verse 11. Uh, John was the last of the Old Testament prophets. The last of that gen, that, that whole succession of prophets that were calling people to turn back to God. And he did what they all did. He called people to repent and John was very practical in that. He would tell Roman soldiers that they should stop abusing their power. He told different groups of people how they should repent and how they should change. And he was the last and the greatest of the old. But what about verse 11? Did that strike you a bit odd when I was reading it? Uh, I say to you, among those born of women, there's arisen no greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who's least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Is there anyone here who is not born of woman? What's it to, is that? What's it, a strange expression here? Uh, what's it talking about? So I'm going to argue that um, we can. Um, there's a clue amongst this the expression, "born of women," and if we go to the Gospel of John, we can see this in starker terms. Let's look at John. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave us the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Uh, so what he's talking about is not people who are not born of women, but people who are born of something else. People who are born of the Spirit. Because John, although John was filled with the Spirit in, in the Old Testament prophetic sense, John wasn't one of the people who were born of the Spirit in the New Covenant. That was a new thing that Jesus brought in that began at Pentecost. And Jesus is saying, actually, this, the... The, the, the most insignific- insignificant in this new order is greater than John. Uh, as we can see it more clearly in uh, John chapter 3, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born from above. Um, let's just uh, skip over Matthew eleven eleven another verse. I say to you, um, so this, sorry, this is going back to the other verse I just was read. Among those born of women there's not arisen greater than John the Baptist. So what he's saying is a new order has begun. John the Baptist was the last of an old order, the Old Testament order. He's the last, but in this new order, which I'm beginning, even the least in this new order is in some way greater than him, because in the new order, everything is different. And we have a gift that John didn't enjoy. We have the presence, the in, part of this new kingdom, and we have the king dwelling inside us in a way that John didn't have. He's a comforter, he's an encourager, he's the channel of the Father's love to us, and he's the, the, the felt presence of Jesus within us. And every single one of us who's part of God's Jesus new kingdom has this that John didn't have. And if I was to stop here, I could make this very encouraging message about the blessings of being in the kingdom and uh, how, how even though John was great, we have more and what we have in the Holy Spirit. And I could I could stop and I could just preach a message about what we have now and all the, the riches of the Holy Spirit. But I haven't got to the uncomfortable bits yet, so I've got to carry on. So let's look at our outline. I talked about the, this verse about the the dirge and the dance, and I've talked about uh, John the Baptist, and now I'm going to talk about the same pattern in the past, and then we're going to talk about the pattern in the future. So Jesus mentioned in that passage that John the Baptist, he said, it was Elijah who's to come. He's the one. He's the one prophesied as another Elijah. Well, uh, what, what do you think about this? Um, I'm going to. To take this, uh, this passage to another level now, and we're going to see what's going on with this. So in what way was Jesus, was John the Baptist Elijah? Was it reincarnation? Well no, the Bible never teaches reincarnation, but somehow he was following a pattern that was set. And now I want to take a look at, clo- a closer look at uh, comparing John the Baptist to Elijah. So here's a picture of Elijah, um, And this is, I think, Ahab and Jezebel, and he's doing the same kind of thing. He's he's condemning, uh, condemning their bad behaviour, telling them to repent. And he appeared at a very bad time in Israel's history, and uh, it was ruled by this notorious pair, Ahab and Jezebel. And he preached the same message as Elijah: turn back to God. And just like John. The spirit of the Lord was powerfully on Elijah. He lived in the wilderness, just like John did. By the way, sometimes when we hear the word wilderness, we think of desert. But as some of us have recently been to the wilderness, it's not desert at all. And it wasn't desert in those times. This is actually a photograph of the the Jordan where John was living today. Wilderness meant nobody was living there. It was just an empty place. So John was out in the wilderness... Preaching, um, but it wasn't. It wasn't uh, uh, a a place that was harsh. It was just a place where people weren't there. This is where he was, and he was out preaching. And in the same way, Elijah was preaching. Um, When we look at Elijah's clothing, uh, he had a very basic lifestyle. We read that his clothes were made of camel's hair, a leather belt. In fact, there's a story in the Old Testament where one of the kings sends somebody out uh, and they, they come back and they say, there's a prophet there. And the man said, the king said, well, who was the prophet? He said, I don't know. He said, well, tell me what he was wearing. And he said, oh, he was wearing a sort of very rough hair coat with a leather belt. Oh, he said, that will be Elijah. So, you know, he was known. That was that was how he was. And uh, John the Baptist was the, dressed the same kind of way. Uh, so John was preparing for Jesus who was Elijah preparing the way for? Does anybody know? Who was Elijah preparing the way for? Elisha, that's right. Elisha, uh, was, pre- Elisha, Elijah commissioned Elisha, and Elisha means God is my salvation. That's what the word means. God is my salvation. And Elisha was a Jesus figure he made food multiply, he healed lepers, he, he raised the dead, he opened blind eyes. If you look at his miracles, same kind of thing, not nearly as great, but the same kind of thing. Um, but Elijah called down fire from heaven on his enemies, destroyed them, very, very John the Baptist kind of thing to do. Elijah was very different. In fact, there's a great story that I love about Elisha and um The Syrian army were attacking one of the cities in in northern Israel. And Elisha was summoned. Now, if it was Elijah, he would have just called down fire and burned them all up. But what Elisha did was he prayed they would all be blinded. So that whole army was blind. And then he said to them, follow me. And for some reason they did. They got down off their horses and so on and they followed him. He took them into the city. And the rulers of the city said, let's kill them, they're all blind, let's kill them. And Elisha said, no, I want you to prepare a feast for them. So they got this, they laid out this huge feast for their enemy, and then Elisha prayed and their eyes were opened. And they were like, whoa, they couldn't believe it. They ate the feast, and then they left. Never again did they attack Israel. Never again. But that's such a contrast with Elijah's ministry. So Elisha's ministry was this new way of of behaving, which was pre triggering Jesus Christ. Um, <clears throat> so much like Jesus in the way he did things. But but what's very interesting is there's another uh person, Elijah like figure, a wilderness kind of figure, that is alluded to in this passage. In this particular passage, we have the connection between John the Baptist and Elijah mentioned. But very often in the Bible, Moses and Elijah are linked together. And I'm going to give you a little chart here to puts this together. So if we look at Moses, Moses is followed by Joshua. And the word Joshua means savior. And Moses led from them from slavery. But then Joshua took them into the promised land. So there's an end of an era. Moses brought them out of one era. It was the end of an era, but that led them into the promised land. Elijah led to Elisha. We go from judgment to grace. And then John, of course, from the old kingdom to the new kingdom. So Moses and Elijah are very similar figures. And each one is going up a level from the previous. And so, sorry, Robin Mark, we're not living in the days of Elijah. Because we've gone up... A lot since those times. We're living in the new kingdom, the the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus takes us into a new order. Now, there are some remarkable parallels between these three people, Moses, Elijah, and John. Um, So the Spirit was on them. All of them had an amazing empowerment of the Spirit. In fact, John the Baptist, even in his womb, he was empowered by the Spirit. Um, they lived in the wilderness, of course Moses was in the wilderness as well. Uh, they preached prophetic warnings. Uh, they, they each had a king as an arch enemy, which is quite interesting. Uh, Moses, of course, was Pharaoh, and Elijah was King uh, Ahab, and of course John the Baptist was Herod. And each had a successor that was the saviour figure. Uh, the saviour, um, Joshua, who took them into the promised land, and... Um, elisha and jesus and each one of them heard from god about this successor and commissioned him so moses was told to commission uh joshua elijah do you remember the commission of elijah actually he took him out and elijah uh, Elisha. elijah went up to heaven on a chariot and his mantle came down onto elisha amazing commissioning and then moses uh and John the Baptist has some other similarities. They both have some supernatural things happened at their birth. You know, Moses in the bulrushes, uh, John the Baptist, supernatural birth. Uh, they both prepared the way for the success in quite a remarkable way. Um, they both lived. All of them lived at the end of an era. Um, the next era for all of them was, particularly Moses and John the Baptist, was a new, completely new era. And they didn't live to see the new era. They. Moses died before going to the promised land, and, and uh, uh, Elijah uh, and uh, John the Baptist died before Jesus. Um, and so, uh, there's quite some remarkable parallels. Um, now, I'm not going to spend much time on it, but actually there's another parallel I haven't had on the chart. Um, who In the Old Testament, who is the the the, the best prophetic um, symbol of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament? Which person represents Jesus the most commonly? what they did. Hmm. David. So, who might be a figure in David's life that was like commissioning some sort of prophetic figure that was commissioning and Samuel. Did Samuel have an arch enemy? Or Saul? Um, supernatural events at Samuel's birth? Yes, Hannah. Um, he prepared the way for a successor, lived at the end of an era? Yeah. Samuel was the last of the judges and David went into the kings of course there was Saul that was a problem but David was the first like legitimate king um the next year was indeed a new order did Samuel live to see it no he died just before King David became the king so there's some some remarkable parallels there and so I would actually fit all three of those together I don't have them on my chart so you're probably wondering where I'm going with this and because I said it was going to be some difficult things, and you haven't heard those yet, so you're thinking, "What's this? Where is this going?" Well, let's look at the outline. The funeral we've had, the past, which is the same pattern with Elijah and Moses, and we're going to look at the future, the end of the world. So, I'm going to take us on to a passage in the Book of Revelation. Now, the Book of Revelation is a notoriously hard book. Um, I've had the joy of teaching courses on Revelation on number of occasions, and I've been able to study in depth, and although on the surface it seems hard and even weird, uh, when you study in depth, uh, many of the images in Revelation are taken from other parts of scripture. And John is actually using images, and if you know that, if you understand that, and you've got a good grasp of the, how they're originally used, they make sense in the book of Revelation. He's just reusing these images. Um, <clears throat> And uh, then the meaning can be understood in terms of the rest of the scriptures. Uh, that's not to say there's not many difficulties in the book of Revelation, but when I teach it, I like to concentrate on what we can be sure of rather than what is obscure. What is really, really clear and on the surface rather than what might have some different interpretations. And in Revelation 11, we have a picture of the last days and a pictorial parable And I think some things in that are very clear. And so I want to major on the clear things. So Jesus is about to return, and just as John the Baptist prepared the way, the first time, he says, John John in Revelation says, there will be a preparer in the second. And people sometimes use the word forerunner for John the Baptist. Uh, um, So who is the forerunner of Jesus' return? his second coming who's the forerunner who's like the John the Baptist figure preparing the way for Jesus second coming Can anybody guess? You're right but who is that? Yeah okay here's the bad news it's all of us. We have to do it. We are actually the Elijah figure. We are actually the John the Baptist figure. We're the figure that is preparing the way for Jesus' second coming. So let's put this on our chart. Um, the return of Jesus is, is going for an even bigger change of order from the old creation to the new creation. And it's us. Um, so it will be all of God's people. Um, so um, there's two witnesses, as as Suggester quite rightly pointed out. Uh, are described as actually. Um, let see. No, we'll go there. The two witnesses uh, are described as um, two. Why would there be two witnesses? Because in a law court, in 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 Israelite law, you had to have two witnesses to witness to something. A single witness was not acceptable, because of course they may be lying, but two witnesses you needed. And the idea then is a witness, is that these two witnesses are witnessing for Jesus. So I'm going to look at some different scriptures in a minute, and we'll come to Revelation in a minute. before I do that, I want to look at the term witnesses. Um, in John chapter 1, we read, A man came sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that everyone might believe through him. Um, And then uh, we read in verse 29, On the next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In Acts 1.8, Jesus says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And in all Judea and Samaria, and to the farthest parts of the earth. Do you see that? So the same role that was given to John the Baptist, which was a witness to Jesus, we are given a role of doing this. Another verse. Why two? Matthew 18:16. And the testimony of two or three witnesses every matter will be established. So often we use the word witness. To mean evangelism, you know, I was witnessing or something. But actually, in a law court, is simply, a witness is simply someone who tells what they've seen and heard. Simply, I saw a man run in the house and I heard a bang. You know, a witness. It's what you see and hear. And primarily, what we are called to do is to, to say, What's happened to us? What's happened? We're just to, to, to say, this happened to me. I was doing this. Jesus came into my life and this happened. Or I prayed to him and this happened. Uh, that's all John was doing. All John was doing is pointing and saying, that's him. And so we're not called to, some, to, to, to actually get people saved. It's God's role to do that. We can't get somebody saved. But we can be a witness and we can say, this is what Jesus did in my life. This happened. Now, I want to look then, since there's a parallel there between John being a witness and us being a witness and what we're called to do, I want to look at these witnesses in the end time. And these two witnesses that we're going to see are a composite of all the witnesses beforehand, from, from Samuel to Moses to Elijah to John the Baptist, pictorially put together. And uh, they're, they're filled with the power of the Spirit. They can do signs and wonders. Um, Satan tries to stamp them out, just like Satan tried to stamp out the other, the other ones we've looked at. But he's unable to do that. He thinks they're gone and they come up again. And this culminates in Jesus returning. So I'm now going to do the scary thing, which is to look at Revelation. And I will give power to my two witnesses to prophesy dressed in sackcloth. So obviously an illusion here. Good news is you don't have to wear sackcloth that's just the imagery here Uh, they they have the power to shut the sky so that it does not rain who's that referring to? Elijah, that's one of his miracles during the time they're prophesying they have power to turn the waters into blood who did that? Moses Uh, and to strike the earth with every kind of plague again Moses when they've completed their testimony the being that comes from the abyss that's Satan will make war on them and conquer them and kill them uh, and those who live on the earth will rejoice over them and celebrate even sending gifts to one another because these two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth. But wait a minute. After a short time, a breath of life from God entered them and they stood on their feet. So this is uh, uh, telling us about uh, Moses, Elijah, John the Baptist, these figures and God's people at the end times have, is using the same imagery. Now I want to say... That this, I, uh, the way I would understand this is, in fact, in, you can look at it as describing the whole pattern of the church throughout history, right from the early church. This is a pattern that's happened time and time again. The church has witnessed. Um, the church has um, been a. a, a Something that the world, has, Satan, has been threatened by. They've done amazing things. Satan has thought he stamped them out. He's persecuted them, but he hasn't stamped them out. They've actually stood on their feet again and they've grown. And time and time again, right from the, you know, the terrible Roman persecutions, right the way through the ages, they have been stamped out, apparently, but then risen again and grown, in fact. And so I want to say that, on one level, this is describing a pattern that has happened throughout the whole of the time of the church. Um, but, however, uh, I, I believe there's also a climax of this pattern before Jesus returns. Because it does say, uh, where I stopped reading, um, verse 11, tremendous um, fear sees those who were watching them, they heard a loud voice from heaven saying, come up here, and the two prophets went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies were staring at them. And so this is obviously Jesus returning. Um seventh angel blew a trumpet, there was a loud voice in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. So this world is ended, Jesus' reign has begun, and this is the this is the end of the age. And so it seems to me that this pattern, although something repeated throughout history come to a culmination at the end of the age as these two witnesses prepare for the return of Jesus now please remember that this is a parable and in some ways uh, in a parable uh, there is a there are pictures which are not the same as reality like wearing sackcloth it's imagery and the, and the, the, the killing of the, the testimony of the, the prophets well it, you know, maybe effectively suppressing them for a short time. So this is a parable that's been given here. Um, but the, the principle is that, the, that every time the persecution, the church comes back stronger and stronger. Although I mean, some Christians have been killed, but the church itself comes back stronger. So I believe that this is where we come in, and this is how I want to end this message. And this is where we've been leading up to. So, I, I think, and this is not something I can prove from Scripture, but I think there's a good chance the return of Jesus will come in our lifetimes. If not in my lifetime, in your lifetimes. I think return will come in our lifetime. And we are probably the generation that will welcome Jesus' return. So, I've got some points that I want to bring from this. Um, so... Let me uh, let me just decide how I'm going to present this. Okay, let's go through this. First of all, let's look at the negative. Be prepared. There are tough times ahead. There are tough times coming. Be prepared for that. And some of us may be called to suffer. Some of us may be called to die. But you can never be truly hurt. Because if you die, you'll be raised up again. Um, the positive is... I believe we see an increasing empowerment of the spirit, increasing empowerment of the spirit, because that's one of the things that characterise these witnesses, and one of these things that characterise these prophets in the last times. These the two witnesses rather in the last times. Um, that uh, and also positive that um, we'll move from this old earth, and we'll move we'll move into the new heaven and the new earth. Something wonderful. So what is the calling here? The calling is we have this calling to be witnesses and to prepare the way of Jesus coming and to prepare for this gathering. Now you might say, um, I didn't sign up for this when I became a Christian. I was told becoming a Christian just made your life happier and you got answers to prayer. Well, I'm sorry if that's what you think. But um, that is what signing up for a Christian is. Signing up for a Christian is following Jesus, and I wouldn't be a faithful pastor if I didn't tell you that that's what being a Christian was about. This old earth is getting old and getting worn out. There's a new creation coming, and this new generation, this current generation, sorry, there's a new creation coming, and I believe that this generation is called to prepare for the new. And so... I want to end by saying, if we're called to be John the Baptists, what should we actually do? Well, I, first thing, to step in your, into your identity as a witness. This has always been our identity. Jesus called us to be this in Acts 8. We need to step into this identity. Into identity. We need to be willing to tell people what he's done for us, what our experience is, what we have seen and heard of Jesus. The negative, there are some tough times coming, so be prepared. The dance is coming, but there are some tough times coming. Some of us here may be called to suffer. None of us can ultimately, possibly be hurt. The positive, increasing empowerment through God's Spirit. Increasing empowerment because as the forces of, of, evil arise, we are given the strength to resist them. More positive, what's coming is going to be so much better than what we have now that it just doesn't compare. You think of Moses in the wilderness and what was, comp- you know, that they were, they were in this wilderness, they were just, they had no homes, they're living in tents for years and years Going into a land flowing with milk and honey, the future didn't compare with what they had. You can think of um, of John the Baptist prophesying, "There's one coming whose sandals I'm not. Unwo- I'm unworthy to undo his sandal. He's the Son of God." Jesus came and brought the kingdom, and what Jesus brought just didn't compare with the Old Testament. Jesus came and brought grace to replace the law was before then. And now we're looking for a further step. So what's coming should just encourage us. And my last point is, this calling to be a witness. Uh, that We are called to prepare the way simply by pointing to Jesus. We're simply pointers. And um, uh, I believe, um, and I can't prove this, but I, I believe that there will be a great revival of many, many people say before Jesus returned. The reason I think so is because I can't imagine Jesus returning to a church that hasn't really succeeded. Like he came, he launched the church, and when he returns, I think it's going to have been successful. So my belief is, there's there's words, there's, there's promises like, the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And so I believe there's sufficient evidence in the scripture that there's going to be revival. There's going to be great numbers brought into the kingdom. And we have a part of that. Are you excited about that? Does this depress you or does this excite you? It should excite you because you get to be a part of the big in And so I want to say, when he comes, we will be so full of joy that all our mourning will be turned into dancing. All our mourning will be turned into dancing. So get serious about following Jesus. Get serious about your future destiny. And I'm going to ask the worship team to come up now. And I'm just going to close in prayer while they're coming up. Heavenly Father, you put your power on Moses and he could part the Red Sea. Lord, we pray for your strength and your power on us. Lord, you gave your power to Elijah and with his prayers. He could start or stop the rain. Lord, we pray for the, a, a prayer life that that is extraordinary. Lord, that you'll teach us, you'll show us how to pray, and you'll lead us to be men and women of prayer. Lord, John the Baptist, uh, uh, com, uh, John the Baptist's enemies complained that the whole of Judea had gone out to hear him. Even the Roman soldiers were coming out to hear John the Baptist. Lord, we pray that we will have such an impact that everyone wants to hear what we say. And Lord, we ask for an even greater power on us. Even greater witnesses uh, that we will be than those men of the past. Lord, that we will see the great glory of your eternity. Father, speak to us, encourage us, build us up through your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.